Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you, and happy Advent to all of you. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, My name is Jesse, and I get to be the pastor here, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you and hear your story, I would love to do that, to hear what God is doing in your life. And uh, like we said, as, as you can tell by the colors and by the movements, for those of you that come here regularly, we have an altar set up that's different, the colors are different, the clothes are different. It's because we're entering into, as you've caught on by now, into the season of Advent. And Advent is a season where we press into the waiting. It's a season where we really learn how to wait, and not just wait, but learn how to wait well. And as Christians, we would say we can look back to the first advent, which is the coming of Jesus Christ into the world and all that that meant and all the joy that that means for us. And we can look forward to the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so you can tell by all the readings, we're going to spend time in the prophets during this season. But the prophets are looking forward to the arrival of Jesus Christ and all that that means. And the gospel reading, if you caught what... uh, Deacon Stephen read, he says, no one knows the day or the hour. It's an encouragement to look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we sit as Christians in this middle space. Some would say a liminal space. So everybody, I would invite you to turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to the liminality. There we go. We live in the liminality. We live in this space in between the first advent, all the joy that that means, But we also long for the second advent because we read the news and we look around at the world. We take a deep look at our own hearts and we realize all is not right yet. There are good things going on in the world and in our own hearts and the Lord is changing us and has given us great joy that we can live with. But there's also great longing that we hold on to that we're honest about in the world that all is not yet right. All the promises of God have not fully been come to bear in this world. And so we live in this middle space, at once rejoicing, but also longing for this next season. And it's one of my favorite, I, you know, I love all the seasons, actually. I should stop saying this is one of my favorite. But I love this season because it presses us into honesty and into joy. So that we don't whitewash things or put stickers over them, but at the same time, we don't walk around with a sullen, unjoyful attitude because we can embrace the first advent and look forward to the second advent. And one of the hardest things for us to do, really at any time, but especially as we live in the liminality, as we live in this middle space between the first advent and the second advent, isn't just to wait well, but it's to pray well. It's hard pretty much all the time to pray well, but especially if we're truly feeling the space and the tension that exists between the advent We want to look at what does it look like for us to pray well. And if you're anything like me, our prayer life often goes in one of two directions, especially in this kind of season. One is you almost neglect to pray altogether because there's something about deep and real prayer that exposes us to disappointment. It exposes us in a tender way, possibly to dissatisfaction or unmet expectations in our lives. And that can make the, prayer, uh, the, uh, the prospect of prayer daunting in itself because it touches a tender part of our souls. It's a place that's not yet fulfilled or maybe a place of personal disappointment or hurt. Or maybe it's just a pattern that we're not used to and we have been so far from deep and real prayer for a long time that it's hard to actually enter in. So that's one way we can go oftentimes in this season when we think about praying well. The second way 
that we can veer off away from what the scriptures tell us is that we, we may think that we need to pray too well, where we need to say the right words all the time. Or we might say that I'm not praying enough or I'm not praying well enough or I'm not pious enough or I'm not righteous enough or my prayers don't sound good enough or my heart's not in the right spot or yeah, I just don't feel it, bro. Whatever it is, sometimes it's hard for us to really well walk into this deep and real prayer. And there can be this sense of overwhelm that if we don't feel we're praying right, that sort of pushes us away from prayer, which is the first path, and we can go back and forth. And it can be challenging to pray, to pray regularly, and to pray well. And so especially here during Advent, and really anytime we come across a passage that is a prayer, which is Isaiah 64, but especially here in Advent where we're living in this liminal space, this tension that's created, we want to take a special note at how did the prophet pray? How are the prayers in the Bible brought up, and what can we learn about them for our own prayer life? So I want to take special note of that. The scriptures are full of prayers that we find everywhere. We have the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' high priestly prayer. We have the prayers of the Apostle Paul. Half the Psalter is a prayer book. We have prayers all through the scriptures. And oftentimes we can turn to the Bible where our own prayer lives turn dry and we don't have the words to say. We can just say the words of the Bible. And if we lean into these words of the Bible, they can lead us into our own prayers. And I talk with people regularly at this church and in other churches who, when they're going through a challenging time, they comment to me that they just can't, and they they all use this term for some reason, they just can't manufacture the words to even pray. And yet prayer is our most immediate and direct pathway to God. It's the core of our relationship. It defines our spirituality with God as we walk together with Him in Jesus Christ. So in those times when we're not doing well and we're challenged with the words, and in times when we're doing well, we can always benefit from the original prayer book, which is the scriptures. And so what I'd like to do is just trace this prayer together with you and learn how we can also approach God in this season and in all seasons, but especially here in the season of Advent. Sometimes I find that you could even just open the scriptures, and maybe you'll do this later this week, Isaiah 63 and 64, And just start saying these words out loud. And as you say these words out loud, it's almost like it creates a space for prayer that you can then walk into with your own prayers. As someone with ADD, I do this all the time because it's hard to concentrate my mind. So I use these words as an anchor to get me focused on God. So if you have your Bibles, uh, there's some uh, maroon colored Bibles in front of you. Or you can go to your phones or your iPads or whatever. Uh, We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 64, but we're actually going to start in Isaiah 63, verse 15, which is where this prayer begins. And what I'd like to do is trace with you the movements of this prayer of what praying well looks like during this time of waiting and expectation, and again, look at what does this mean for our own prayer lives. So the prayer begins here in chapter 63, verse 15. And one of the things you'll notice here, as with many of the prayers in the Old Testament, probably 50% of the prayers in the Psalms, is that there's this movement that goes back and forth in the prayer by usually about three or four verse movements. There's this, the best way I can describe it, there's this lurching forward, this emotional movement, this rising up where it's like Isaiah sort of leaning into the Lord and saying, this is how I feel, God. 
And then there's sort of a tempering where he draws back, and it's sort of like a self-reflection. So one of the ways I think about it is like you go to the beach, and they're the breakers that rise up and then break and crash, and then there's sort of a calm in between the next wave, and then the breaker rises up and crashes. Uh, as somebody who's failed at trying to surf many times, I know a lot about these breakers. But you can think about this. The breakers are rising up. He's rising up in prayer, crashing down. And then there's a moment of tempering and self-reflection. So we see that pattern. And it starts here in verse 15. He's talking to God. Look down from heaven and see, from your holy and beautiful habitation, where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. So immediately we see this movement, this expression of longing. He's looking forward, he's looking around at the world and said, this is not right. God, can you see me? Can you see my life? See us. Can you not see our nation? Can you not see my life? Can you not see the situation around here? Where is the stirring of your inner parts? It's almost like he's saying, God, you say you love us, but where are you? Do you even see the situation that's going on? Now, in the context, Isaiah's, he's seeing forward to a few things. He's seeing forward to the future captivity of Israel. He's seeing around him to the wholesale corruption of the priesthood and the people around him and the culture. He's grieved by how the people are living and turning their backs on God. And he's saying, God, how can you not see what's going on? See us, oh God. Now, for some of us, I know about you and your personal experiences with prayer, But for some of us, this might make us step back a little bit, or we might be taken aback a little. You might say, wow, you can really talk to God this way? I didn't know you could talk to God this way. And what this is, what this is ultimately, is an expression of closeness and intimacy. It's an expression of someone who knows God closely and has a deep, trusting, and real relationship with him. That's why in the next verse, it says in verse 16, For you are our father, you through Abraham, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father, our redeemer, from old is your name. God is holy other, he is almighty, he is all powerful, we owe him our reverence, yet he's also our father, and he loves us in this way like a loving father. Now, uh, someone in our priory, uh, which is our fancy word for life group, but someone in our priory was sharing a story the other day about a, one of their relatives who had adopted a little girl. And they had adopted this little girl. And for the, about the first month, this little girl was very quiet and very shy, very deferential, and did exactly what she was told and would just sort of sit in the, sit in the corner quietly. And then after about a month, her true personality started to come out. And it turns out that she's quite a very outspoken and some would say overly confident little girl. In fact, she bosses people around all the time. And it's interesting, as someone who's worked in the foster care system abroad, uh, you see this happen all the time. That kids, they come into a new home and originally they're very shy, they're very deferential, they don't really want to rock the boat. But then as soon as they start to feel safe, as soon as they start to feel like they're in a place where they can be loved... As soon as they realize that they can push a little bit against a wall and that wall will support them and not throw them out, then they feel room to range a little bit more and to be their true selves. It's a response to unconditional love and support. 
They, true, they show their true selves in all the glory and in all the flaws. And what that does when a kid shows their parent their true selves, it does two things. First, it allows the parent to love the real version of who they are, not the trumped up, acted up version of who they are, but who they really are, and to be known and to be loved in that real way. And secondly, it helps the parent to see exactly how to help redirect some of the energy that might not be going in the right way to form that child. It's an expression of intimacy in love that's born out of love and security and authenticity. This is what it looks like when somebody is in a loving, trusting relationship. So coming back to prayer, do we pray in this way? Do we approach God in this way? Do we see God as a loving Father, someone that we can lean against that will support us and love us? Not one that will just throw us out for saying the wrong thing or thinking the wrong thing. Do we see God as one that sees all of who we are and loves us anyway? Because that's who he is. He knows everything about us and chooses to love us anyway. This is the God that we know and love. This is the God that's called us into relationship with him. And this is the way he invites us to speak with him. Now notice Isaiah is not irreverent or insulting. He's not entitled in his approach to God, but he is honest and he is real. And he's honest and real because he knows that God is his father and God loves him. And this is how we can pray in this way. So if we're at the beach, that's our first breaker. That's the first rise that Isaiah sort of goes into prayer. And then verse 17 through 19 in chapter 63, there's this tempering. Isaiah takes a sober look at the people of God. He takes a sober look at himself and he says, God, do you not see us? And then it's sort of like he's self-reflecting. He said, well, if you did see us, this is what you'd see. You'd see a people with hard hearts, people that, have, uh, that are callous to God's word, people that are defeated due to a lack of unity in God, a people that don't look like what you designed, God, and what you wanted. See, God designed his people to be a symbol of light and love to the world, a symbol of justice that would help the poor and draw all people to the light of God, and as Isaiah's reflecting on that, he's saying, you don't, we don't look anything like that, <laughs> Lord. So this teaches us another thing about prayer is that it's a safe space to reflect on our own lives and our own hearts. Because we know that God loves us as our Father, that he holds us in his hands, that we're also safe to be in a place as we pray to reflect on ourselves. We can pray in the same way, God, do you see my life? I know you see me as who I am. And then we can reflect, are there areas in our own lives where we're callous to the words of God? Are there areas in our lives where we don't give God the right amount of heart share, where we're allowing other things from the world or other things that we want to see happen take a disproportionate share of our own hearts? We can take that time in prayer to reflect with him. Do our lives look different than what God designed do we look like the disciples he designed to share his life and love with the whole world? We can go to God. We can surge into his presence. We can crash like a wave and say, God, I need your help. But as we're in his presence, we know we're safe and loved and we can take that time to reflect in on ourselves. So that's what Isaiah does in chapter 63. Then he moves down here to chapter 64, and I'll move through this part Quickly, there's these famous words. In fact, as uh, Stephen was reading earlier, I just said, well, there's no need for a sermon. That was just such a good reading, a good rendering. 
Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. First, Isaiah, so he surges up into God's presence. He says, God, do you see us? Then there's a calm tempering, and then he surges back into God's presence. And he says that you would rend the heavens, that you would literally split open the heavens. And, you know, every sermon, I love to give you a, a rabbit trail to get lost on on the internet. Look at paintings of God rending the heavens. It's a beautiful sight. That God would tear open the heavens and bring down his presence. And then notice what he says in verse 2 and verse 3. He says, as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. Isaiah is praying that God would respond and he's looking back to how God has responded. That when we pray to God, we can expect that God will respond in a kinetic way. That God will act and move on behalf of those that he prayed for. And then in verse 3, he says, when you did awesome things that we did not look for. That's a, a little line that we can miss very easily if we read over it quickly, but that God often responds to ways that are surprising to us. That he does things in our presence, things that we were not looking for, but that we look at what God has done and we say, wow, God has done this. I was praying for this. God gave me this. You did things that I was not even looking for. That God often in his wisdom moves outside of our own categories. So when we pray, when we live in the liminality, when we look forward to the longing of this coming of Jesus Christ, and we look back with joy that Jesus has come into our lives, this is how we can pray. We can pray with intimacy and closeness. We can literally take all that's going on in our lives and crash into the presence of God like a wave. We can bring all of who we are into his presence. We can humbly reflect on our own lives. We can ask God to act and move. And we can expect, as we pray, we can expect that he will move. Sometimes he will act in a kinetic way, in a way that we're expecting. Oftentimes, in fact, in my own life, more oftentimes, he will do awesome things that we did not look for. This is what we can expect. We long for you, O oh Lord, to surprise us, to work and to move. You know, this room that we're sitting in with these people that are sitting to your left and your right is one of those things that God has done that we did not expect. We came here to Denver. Sarah and I were in Cambodia for eight years. We came to Denver. We didn't know a single soul. Well, that's wrong. We knew a few souls. Let me make sure I don't exaggerate there. We knew a few souls, but we certainly didn't know a lot of people, and we just started praying that the Lord would build a church, that he would draw people together that want to be formed after the image of Jesus Christ and want to carry that formation out into the world. And what was set up for us as what the situation would be is very different from what the situation became. And the people that we thought would be here are not the type of people that are here, and we're very happy for the people that are here. These are things that were unexpected that God brought into our midst. We sort of had imaginary visions of what the church would look like, and the reality is so much better than we expected. That God did amazing things that we did not look for. We also learned that we weren't the first people to pray for a church in this community. We're not going to be the last people to pray for, the, for a church in this community. That God is working in the lives of other people. And that is one of the funnest things about being a pastor is that some people that you don't think is going on, that there's anything going on in their lives, are sort of quiet, not revealing much to you, outside of even this church, but in this neighborhood, that God shows that he's actually working a lot in and through the people of this church in their lives. 
God does things, awesome things, that we did not look for. And that's often because we go to him and we pray. And we ask him to move. Sometimes in a kinetic way he responds, but more often in a way that surprises us. So there's this crashing up into God's presence. Then there's a tempering. There's this crashing again into God's presence that he would act and move in this special way. And then just as we come to these last verses here, verses 6 and 7, he reflects again on what he's heard before. He says, God, would you come down and see us? And then, God, would you come down and move among us? And then he goes into this reflection. It's sort of like he said, God, rend the heavens. And then he says, well, if you were actually here, this is what you would see. Again, you would see a people that are unclean, that are mortal and fade, that are unfaithful to you. Again, we have this rise up and this tempering, this sort of reflection back. And it reminds me of what Ecclesiastes 7.29 says. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Or I love this other translation. This is all that I have learned. God has made us plain and simple, but we have made ourselves very complicated. Isn't that us? Isn't it so great that this is in the scriptures? What a gift that the Bible says, I know you're complicated. You have made us simple and clean and upright, but we have made our own lives complicated. And that's exactly what we see in this prayer of Isaiah. It's not somebody who says, I'm righteous. I deserve to be in your presence. But it's, God, would you come down and help us? Actually, if you came down and you saw me right now, this is what you'd see. It wouldn't actually look very pretty. But Lord, come and move anyways. Would you please move? Actually, I'm unclean and the people around me are fading and we're all turning from you. Lord, help us anyway. Lord, have mercy. This is why he ends here in verse 8 with with this verse, and I'll just end the message with this. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. This is the prayer of someone who knows that they are safe, knows that they are secure, knows that they are loved. And this is the prayer of someone who trusts God for all the outcomes in their lives. That God is the potter and we are the clay. And this is where we can take our own prayers as we approach God. We don't have to approach Him in perfection or with the right words. We don't have to approach Him the same time every day or in the right way. We just have to come into His presence and wait on Him and long for Him and be real as we enter into prayer together with Him. So for us here at CTK, as we enter into this Advent season, as we embrace this tension that exists in the liminality, now it's going to be stuck in your heads. As we embrace this tension in between the advents, as we live both in rejoicing and longing, let this be our prayer. Let us pray in this. Let us all pray in this way. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love and how you show us in so many ways in the scriptures, most deeply and clearly through the arrival of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord, but also as we look at the prayers of your holy people throughout history, that you've drawn us into a deeper and fuller life with you and that you love us as we are. I pray, Lord, for this congregation that you would draw us into a deeper and fuller connection with you through our prayers. 
that we would pray with you, pray to you in an open and honest way and that you would meet us and you would move in our lives. Lord, we trust just like Isaiah trusted that you work on behalf of those who wait for you. So here we are, Lord, waiting for you. Help us to wait well. Help us to lean into your presence. We pray all of this in your great and holy name. Amen.